Well, remain standing with me as we go into the Word of God today. You all have to calm down. You guys are too happy. No can do. I love that. <laughs> John chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, as we close our series on stuck. John chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do what he tells you. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out, and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And when the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. And this is the first miraculous sign Jesus performed at Canaan of Galilee, thus revealed His glory, and His disciples put their faith in Him. And I want to speak to you this morning as we close our series on stuck. I want to preach this title, Stuck Searching. All of us are searching for something in life, amen? But there are three things common to all men, and these three things are everything we're searching for. We're searching for happiness, we're searching for purpose, and we're searching for love. But what do you do in that search for happiness, purpose, and love? What do you do when you don't find it and it feels like you're stuck? Let's pray. Father, bless this word in Jesus' name. Help us to understand it. Use me to preach it. That we leave here today never the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat as we start this series here, as we finish it, therefore, on the word stuck. Stuck searching. We opened up with the story of Jesus being invited to a wedding banquet. And as I read this passage of Scripture this week, I was reminded of something my mom always taught me, even till this very day. She always told me, first impressions matter. Is that right, Mom? First impressions matter most. So always look your best, because it's what people are going to judge you by when they first meet you. It's how people are going to remember you based on what they saw. And what I love about that phrase is that when you look at Jesus in this wedding banquet, this would be his first impression. This would be his first miracle. But see, what was confusing to me as I read it, 
you know, if I were Jesus, we thank God I'm not, but if I were Jesus, my first miracle would go out with a bang. I mean, I want the whole world to know how awesome and great and powerful I am. But see, Jesus' first miracle, it, it wasn't raising the dead. It wasn't walking on water. It wasn't feeding 5,000 with a handful of, of fish and bread. It was none of that. That would come later on. Jesus' first miracle was a miracle that not even everyone saw, only a handful of people. And the first miracle that Jesus would pick to demonstrate is turning water into wine. Now every time Jesus would do a miracle, it was always to teach the people His power. For example, when Jesus... He did the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. He was demonstrating His power to provide. When Jesus walked on water, He was demonstrating His power over nature and circumstances. When Peter, when Jesus raised the dead, He was demonstrating His power to do the impossible and bring dead things alive again. But see, when Jesus chose to turn water into wine, Jesus chose this to be the first miracle He ever did in Scripture because Jesus was trying to demonstrate His power to change things. His power to change. When I read that, I realized something. If there's anything people are in need of today, it's change. If there's anything that people are desperate for in their life, it's change. And everyone, we spend so much effort and energy and time and money and stress trying to change things in our lives. We try to change things about our lives we don't like. We're trying desperately to change people in our lives. We're trying to change things about ourselves we don't like, both emotionally and even physically. We're trying to change situations in our lives. Everyone seems to be searching for change. And every day there's something in our lives we really wish we could change. And why is that? People's desperate search for change is a result of their desire for something else. The reason so many people want to change in their life is because they're searching for happiness. And they think that change is what's going to bring happiness. If I change this about my life, then I will be happy. And if I change them, then they will make me happier. And if I change my job, then I will be happy. See, our desperate desire for change is a result of us searching for what every man first searches for. And that's happiness. See, happiness is something everything, everyone wants. And in our minds, we have a picture of what's going to make us happy. Are you guys picturing it right now? We have an image in our minds of what happiness is. For example, you might say, well, 
Happiness is a milestone for me. If I can just graduate school, then I'll be happy. And then you graduate school and then you say, well, now if I can just get that career I studied for, then I'll be happy. And then you get that career and then, oh, well, now that I have the career, if I can just have enough money with this career to buy my house, then I will be happy. And then you buy your house and you realize, man, it's so lonely in this house. If I could only be married, then I would be happy. And then you get married and you look at each other and say, man, why aren't we happy? Oh, because if we could only have children, then we'll be happy. And then the children come and then you realize that wasn't happiness. That was stress. That was chaos. And if they can just leave the house, then we will be happy. If I could just retire from that job I wanted when I was in college, then I would be happy. And then you retire and say, man, if I can just go back to work because I'm bored, I will be happy. Do you realize the cycle everyone goes through in search for happiness? We've lied to ourselves. We've convinced ourselves that happiness is a milestone. Happiness is something I can buy. Happiness is something I can wear. Happiness is something I can sleep with. Happiness is pleasure. Happiness is what I can drive. Happiness is where I can live. Happiness is something I can date. I can marry. Happiness is six figures. Happiness is the perfect figure. See, we all have an image in our mind of what happiness is. An image like these puzzle boxes. And each box represents a different image. You have beautiful mountains, you have a farm, you have a beautiful bridge over water, over London. It's everything's beautiful. And you see this image in your mind. And this is what you think to yourself. If I can just reach this image, my image of happiness, my picture of happiness, then I'll be happy. But suppose I get all three of these images. Suppose I get all of the images. And now I mix them together. Good luck putting that together now. You want to know if I attempt this puzzle now? I won't be very Christian after. I'm not going to be very pastoral. I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be angry. I'm going to lose my mind, lose my patience. And if you look at people today in our world, that's how they live. People are frustrated. People are tired. People are angry. People have lost their joy of life. Why? Because all of us now are searching for happiness. Because remember, in your mind, you still have that image of what happiness is. And you go through life trying to find where happiness fits. And then you realize 
It doesn't fit. It's not what I thought it, would, it was going to be like. But you know what? I'm just going to change it for another piece and hope that this fits and hope that this works out. And people are angry and frustrated and have no happiness in life because all we seem to do is spend every day of our lives, our miserable lives, searching. If I can just find the right person, the right job, make the right money, live in the right house, drive the right car, and I can retire with this amount of money. If I can go here, travel here, vacation there, and we start searching and searching and searching. And that's why so many of us are used to change. Because when something doesn't work out, we quickly just change it. That's why people can't stick to a church. They just change another one. You can't stick to a job because you're not happy. You go to another one. You can't stick to the same person because you're not happy. So you're going to go to another one just to be just as miserable. And we spend our lives just desperately searching and desperate. And that's why so many people... This is what their lives look like. Because in your mind, you have a picture. No, I have a picture of what happiness is. But I don't find it. And nothing's working out. And why am I not happy? I have everything I've ever wanted. It's because our picture of happiness has been embedded in our minds by an ungodly, sinful, empty world culture. The world tells you what happiness is. It's in our entertainment. It's in our movies. It's in our music. Our children are being lied to, raised to think that happiness is something you can have, you can possess, you can own, you can wear. You can just have it in your life. But see, this is a lie. Because true happiness is not found in anything the world can offer, but only in Jesus Christ. And this is why he came to this world to die and save it. Because Jesus himself said, I have come to give you life. And that word life means joy. Jesus came to this earth to give you joy. Joy that can never be found and anything you think is happiness. There's no reason today we live in a very unhappy world. And here's an ironic truth. And this is not opinion, this is fact. Up to now, we still live in the greatest country in the world. We thank God we live in freedom, democracy. And America is known for being the greatest country in the world. In fact, our forefathers, they strive on liberty. Life in the pursuit of what? Happiness. That's what our country's all about. Your freedom, your right to have happiness. But ironically, the U.S., though the greatest country in the world, ranks 15 in the most unhappy. People have everything and are unhappy. And if we really focus on this, 
that America is one of the most unhappy countries in the world. If you take a deeper, closer look, did you know that the top three cities with the most unhappy people are New York, LA, and Miami? Three of the top cities with unhappy people. We're living in one. So when you see people on their boats and you see people on the beach and in the party and in the nice houses and all the money and all that Miami's known for, that's a picture that's lying to us. Because we live in one of the most unhappy cities in America. Because everyone is just searching for happiness. And why doesn't it fit? And why doesn't it work out? And you keep searching. But it doesn't work. Never satisfied. Discontent. Hopeless. Frustrated. Because it's not what I pictured. I got the relationship. It's not what I pictured. I got the job. It's not what I pictured. I got married. It's not what I pictured. I finally went on that dream trip. It's not what I pictured. So I guess I'm just going to go back and search for something else that's going to make me happy. I drank it. I smoked it. I slept with it, I traveled to it, I owned it, I wore it, I tasted it. Why does it feel like it's not working? Why does it feel like it's not fitting? Why does it feel like disappointment? I'm just getting angry and I'm just searching for my picture of happiness. And people are just hating life. In fact, in the Bible, there was a man who was honest enough to say he hated his life. But ironically, this man, by our definition today, was one of the most successful people that ever lived. In fact, Here's a disgusting truth about success. When you look at the word success in our dictionary, it's defined as something that you accomplish, accumulate, attain. It involves wealth, prosperity, popularity, and status. That is what the dictionary defines as success. So by our definition of success, the man I want to tell you about is named Solomon. And Solomon was the most successful person that ever lived. The, and, and to put it in perspective, he was the first billionaire that ever existed. He was the most famous person ever alive. This was before the internet, before the news and newspaper and social media and magazines. He was the most famous person around the world. He owned vineyards. He owned property. He owned houses upon houses. He had the best parties. He had everything. The Bible says, whatever I wanted, I got. That's what Solomon said. But look at what he said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. 
I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's talking about happiness. Let's see if I can be happy with pleasure. To find out what is good, but that also provided to be what? Meaningless. Look at verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done, what I toiled to achieve, when I looked at all my accomplishments, everything was meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Look at what he said in verse 17. So I hated life. A man that had everything was honest enough to write and admit, I hated life. Because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. See, Solomon was searching not only for happiness, but the reason he used the word meaningless is because he was also searching for purpose. The second thing every person searches for but stays stuck. Not only is there a desperate search for happiness, there's an even greater search for purpose. Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? What is the meaning of life? These are all the questions Solomon was desperate to find out. So Solomon went on a search and he tried to buy it, but it didn't fit. He tried to own it, but it didn't fit. He tried to wear it, it didn't fit. He tried everything to get happiness and purpose. But when he looked at his life, he said, not only does my life feel meaningless, I hate it. And behind so many people that are smiling, laughing, living life, deep down in their hearts, they're actually hating it. And I wonder this morning if that might be you. And you don't want to admit it, but maybe there's a part of you that says, I just don't like my life. The reason that so many people right now are in living destructive lives, the reason that suicide is at an all-time high right now, the reason that the divorce is at an all-time high right now, and depression is at an all-time high right now, is because people are desperately searching for happiness and purpose, happiness and meaning, and they can't find it because they're searching the wrong places. And you'll begin to find meaning in life when you find Jesus Christ. And here's where I really started getting confused. Because having a meaningful life is not money. It's not relationships or great accomplishments. It's Jesus. 
Suppose I grab a handful of ice right now. For a moment, it's in my hands. I feel it. But if I hold it long enough, that ice hits a melting point. And it slowly melts away. And what I once felt, I no longer feel anymore. Because it's gone. That's what it's like to live a life searching for happiness in the wrong places. You get a hold of it for a while, and for a moment, it's nice. For a moment, you're happy. For a moment, you're content. For a moment, you feel great. But you hold it long enough, and you realize that feeling goes away. It no longer feels me like it used to. And that thing you thought would make you happy has a melting point. And then you're left empty-handed again and searching. That's what it looks like when you live your life for the pursuit of happiness in the wrong places, for the pursuit of meaning and purpose in the wrong ideas. And folks, I want to tell you that what you picture happiness is is not what God pictures happiness is. And your picture of happiness is temporal. Your picture of happiness will not satisfy. Your picture of happiness will only leave you empty and dry. And let me just prove it to you in the scripture we read. I want you to read verse 1 through 3 with me right now. Notice when Jesus was in this wedding. The Bible makes a point. It was on the third day. Because weddings typically lasted an entire week, seven days. And for those who hate weddings, you would have hated to live in biblical times. Because it was a long seven-day reception. So Jesus was there. And on the third day of this wedding, notice, on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. And look at verse 2. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding. When the wine was what? Gone. See, the first day of that wedding was great. The first day of that wedding, everyone was happy. Everyone was partying. Everyone was having a great time. And here's what I don't understand. Jesus was there, was he not? But no one cared. Jesus was in this wedding, but no one paid attention to him. No one focused on him. No one even acknowledged him. Why? Because they were too busy being busy. They were too busy having fun. They were too busy partying. They were too busy happy. They were too busy living life. And I wonder how many people today live like that. You're so caught up in this world that Jesus is right in front of you, but you don't care. Jesus is right there, ready to have a relationship with you, but you're so caught up in yourself and your pleasure, indulging in what you think life is all about. Too busy having fun for Jesus. I'm too busy partying for Jesus. I'm too busy with my friends for Jesus. I'm too busy working for Jesus. I got all these things going around right now, and Jesus for three days was just there. 
but no one cared. And that's how so many people treat Jesus today. And as we go back to that verse, leave it up there, please. For three days, ignoring Jesus. For three days, just having fun. But then that third day came. And the wine was gone. And in the Bible, wine was always a symbolism of two things, joy and the blood of Christ. The wine was gone. Sin is fun. Can I get an amen? No, it's okay. Say, say amen. Sin is fun. The party's great. For a moment. For a moment. You realize that every bottle runs empty? Every joint you smoke gets smaller. The party eventually ends. The relationships get boring. And those people for three days, they were ignoring Jesus, having fun, living for the world, living just all for themselves. But eventually, the wine ran out because eventually sin will catch up to you. Eventually, it's not so much fun anymore. And you're left empty. You're left dry inside. And it was at that moment that someone turned to Jesus. And sometimes the party has to end for you to focus on Jesus. And sometimes it has to not work out for you to realize that Jesus is there. And what I love about Jesus is that for those three days that everyone ignored him, no one acknowledged him, they were so busy in their sin and having fun and loving life, but Jesus never left the party. And when you were at your worst, Jesus was still there. And when you were down to no good, Jesus was still there. And now that you're empty, and now that you're dry, and now that you're broken, and now that you're empty, you're searching for Jesus, and he's still there. You see, because we're searching for happiness. We're searching for purpose. And we're searching for love. And Jesus demonstrates his love because when you were at your worst, he never left. He could have gotten offended and said, oh, you're not going to pay attention to me. You're not going to care that I'm here. I'm out. But for those three days, Jesus stayed. For anyone that thinks they're so bad right now that Jesus had to leave, you're wrong. He never left. He never left when you were drunk out of your mind. He never left when you were stoned out of comprehension. He never left when you were doing the walk of shame. He never left when you were down in your depression. He never left 
And Jesus says, you want to know how much I love you? I could have left you a long time ago because you did not even care that I was with you. You were too busy chasing the world. But now that you're empty, now that you're lonely, now that you're dry, and you're searching for me now, you'll find me. I'm still here. Because the wedding shows us that the fun and the party and the sin and the lifestyle of this world does not only not satisfy, it doesn't last. And we're so caught up in, in this busyness of life and searching and, and thinking this is what I need for happy. But the entire time Jesus was there. And maybe you've come to this church empty. You've come with this void. And I'm here to tell you right now, if you're searching for happy, it's Jesus. If you're searching for meaning, it's Jesus. If you're searching for love, it's Jesus who never left. Look at verse 10. Jesus changes the water into wine here. He said everyone... See, when, they, when Jesus changed the water into wine, they, they brought it to the governor of the party. This could have been dangerous if it never transformed. But notice what he says. Wait a minute, everyone brings the choice wine first, the best one first. You know why this is so important? Because the world and the devil promises his best first. But it doesn't last. And this man was taken off guard because he said, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now? Why? Because Jesus was trying to tell the world, the best is yet to come with me. You think, you know why this is so important? Because if you have chased the world and the world has promised the best, eventually it runs out. Eventually it doesn't satisfy. For a moment, it was great. But it leaves you high and dry. And I was fortunate to grow up in a Christian home, but some of you weren't, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. It leaves you empty. And there's a lie the devil tells you. Your best days are behind you. You didn't even pay attention to the church. You didn't even pay attention to Jesus when you were just all in the world and sleeping around and doing the drugs and doing everything you thought. And you paid no, you think Jesus is going to want you now? And the answer is yes. And Jesus did such a transformation that the best wine came after because he's letting you know your best days are not behind you. Your best days are ahead of you when you surrender your life to me. You say, well, pastor, what do I do to have this Jesus in my life? 
Because some people think they have Jesus, but you can have Jesus like you did in that wedding and pay no attention to him. How did everything change? First, verse 2. Here's a big one. And Jesus and his disciples had also been, say it with me, invited. Now this spoke to me. I can relate to this as a pastor because I've come to terms with this, this reality. No one wants their pastor at a wedding reception. Right? I, listen, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I see the pity invites. Oh, are you going to stay for the reception? And when I say, no, no, I'll leave. They're like, oh, good. I mean, oh, that's so sad. Because you know what you do at a reception. Imagine having Jesus in the reception. I don't know who invited him, but I'm sure they were mad at him. You invited who? You invited Jesus? He's weird. He's such a killjoy. Now we can't turn up? How am I going to twerk with Jesus here? How am I going to, you know, with Jesus there? I wanted my taquito. I just wanted a drink. And now Jesus is here. You know how many people think having Jesus in your life is boring? Having Jesus in your life means you go up in a mountain, wear a robe, and go all day. But you tell me, let me tell you something about this passage. The reason that wedding was actually the best wedding ever was because Jesus was there. And there is no greater joy than having Jesus in your life. There is no greater happiness than knowing that you are born again, saved on your way to heaven, living a life of peace and purpose and love, and the search is over because you found them in a man named Jesus. Jesus did not come to ruin your life. He came to give you life. So the first thing they did was invite him. If you're high and dry and empty, there comes a point that you need to invite Jesus into your life. And that's where the joy and the meaning begins to take form. Look at verse 6 and 8 with me. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Now I've been to Israel and I've seen these stone jars. They're like this big. They hold a lot of water. And even to this day, when people go to pray or they go to a wedding ceremony, they would each get their dirty hands, stick it in this jar to wash themselves as a symbol of them purifying their sins. Can I tell you, when I tell you, how nasty that is? By the end of the day, that water is black, dirty, bunch of Middle Eastern people with their sweat and sand just putting their hands in the water. And when they emptied out those jars, those jars were filthy. And Jesus says, will you fill those those jars up to the brim, to the top? 
Why? Because remember, those jars represented sin. That water represented sin. And Jesus said, fill it to the top. Why? It's because Jesus is going to do something to change that water. Because what Jesus came on this earth to do is die for our sins and change it. But notice Jesus says, this jar has to be full to the top. See, the first step is inviting Jesus into your life. But the second step is when Jesus said, fill this to the top and bring it to me. Is when you invite Jesus into your life, you need to confess that you are full of sin. That's what that water represents. It represented sin and you're full of it. For those that say, no, I'm a good person, you're full of it. For those that say, no, I'm, I'm kind of good, kind of bad, Jesus didn't say, fill it halfway then. No, Jesus said, you are full of sin. You have to come to terms. All of us have to acknowledge that we have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There is no one good, the Bible says, not even one. When you want to look at me and you want to look at each other, all of us are full of it. We are full of sin. I don't care how much church you go to, how much I preach, what Bible verses you know, what you pray, when you look at it for what it is. All of us are full of sin. And when you invite Jesus into your life, you own up to that and say, Lord, I am filled with sin. Notice Jesus didn't say, before you fill those jars up, would you wash the jars first? Because people tend to think, well, I, I want to invite Jesus into my life. I, I want to serve the Lord, but I think I need to get myself together first. I need to clean up my act. I need to get right first, and then I'll go to God. And you don't get right, then go to God. You go to God, and He makes you right. That's how it works. Jesus didn't say, clean it up first. Aren't you glad we don't serve a God that says, get your act together first, and then I'll see what I can do with you? He says, come to me as you are. You are full of it. You are nasty. You are sinful. You are dirty. And I love it. Come to me. He never said, get new jars. He said, you get those old, nasty, filthy jars. Because the miracle was not changing the jars. The miracle was changing what was inside the jar. See, the miracle that Jesus can do in your life is he changes you from the inside out. You have to come to a place where you say, Lord, I want to invite you into my life. And I confess I'm full of sin. And in verse 6 through 8, let's go to verse 6 for a minute. I'll read it. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Look at verse 7. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars of water, so they filled them to the brim. 
Then he told them, now draw some out. Take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. Here's what's amazing, and I want to close with this. When those servants did what Jesus did, they just did what Jesus told them to do. The water didn't change right away. He told the servants, fill up, draw the water out. He didn't say draw it out and it will be wine and take it over. No, he said draw the water out. It will still be water. But as they were walking to give it to the governor, while they were walking, that water started changing. And when they reached the governor, they must have been worried, what if it's not wine? What if it doesn't change? And when he drank it, they thought they were going to go to jail. This is it. I just poisoned the governor. He said, wow. This is the best wine I've ever had. You see, because this is what Jesus was teaching. First, you invite me in. Just let me in. And you might invite me in and pay no attention to me. I'll still be there. But when you run yourself dry and empty, you know where to find me. But the first thing you need to do is invite Jesus Christ into your life. And as you invite Jesus into your life, you confess your sins to the Lord and you say, Lord, I am full of sin to the brim. But I know you can change me. And the third thing that happened as they obeyed Jesus, they started serving him in obedience. And as they began to do what Jesus says, they saw the change taking place. Because some people say, well, I invited Jesus into my life and nothing happened. You invite Jesus into your life. You confess and say, Lord, I am a sinner. And as you begin to walk and do this life with Jesus, you do what he says, you begin to serve him. You begin to see this this unexpected change and joy that was never there before. You see, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 9, the Bible says that God demonstrated His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, while you were still full of it, you were filled with sin, while you were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Do you realize that the blood of Jesus on that cross is what saved us from sin? And in Scripture, the wine represented not only joy, but the blood of Jesus Christ. We see that in the Last Supper. 
And Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and for mine to wash us clean and change us. But in this, Christ demonstrated that in Him you find happiness. In Him you find the fullness of joy. In Him you find purpose. And in Him you find love. And in verse 9, this miracle always confused me because not everyone saw it. But now it made sense. In verse 9 of John chapter 2, the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from. Notice, this man tasted it, but he did not know Jesus. He did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the only people that experienced this miracle were those who served him. My question to you, church, is are you living a life to serve Jesus? If you're desperate for change and you're desperate for happiness and love and purpose, you've got to come to a reality where you say, I am not serving Christ, but I want to. You invite him in. You confess your sins, that you are full of it. And as you begin to serve him, the best is yet to come. Come on, give him praise to God. With every head bowed and every eye closed today, maybe your party has ended. It was good while it lasted. But there's a part of you like Solomon that hates life. And you're saying, I've searched for it. I've tried for it. But God, I can't find happiness. I can't find purpose. I can't find love. And Jesus says, I've been in front of you this whole time. You just haven't been paying attention to me. You have been so busy to yourself, so busy in the world, so busy living it up, that you have failed to see that I have been here all this time and I have never, ever left. But if you're empty and if you're dry, you can come to me as you are, even though you might be full of sin right now. I can change you from the inside out. You can start living a life to serve me. But stop trying to clean yourself up first. Stop trying to get your act together. I want you to the brim, full of sin as you are, so that you can experience the miracle of my transformation. But it's time for you to realize the party's over with the world. But the best party is yet to come, and that's with me, Jesus Christ. 
But you need to invite me in. Confess, agree with me that you're full of sin. And I will forgive you and I will save you. And when you start serving me, living to obey me, as you walk with me in life, you're going to see the water change. The sin you've been trying to get rid of will change in Jesus' name. So you can leave this church this morning still searching, still empty. Or you can be honest with yourself and say, the search is over. And his name is Jesus. Now this is you this morning. You're saying, Pastor, I've been searching. I'm empty and I hate life and I confess I'm full of sin and I've been living my life not even paying attention to Jesus but I know he hasn't left and today I want to invite him into my life because I confess I am full to the brim with sin and there's nothing I can do to change that there's no good works that can save you nothing can cleanse you except the blood of Jesus Christ just have to say yes to him. And the best is yet to come. If this is you this morning, let's all stand to our feet for a moment here as we dismiss. With every head bowed, every eye still closed. If this is you this morning, would you just put that hand up for a second and say, Pastor, this is me. I need to invite Jesus into my life. I need to come to that place where I acknowledge I'm full to the brim of sin, searching for happiness, but not finding it. Maybe you're here today. And you're saying, Pastor, I'm, I'm born again. I'm saved. I've been serving Jesus. but I confess that my mind and my attention has not been on him. And I've been busy and distracted, but I know the Lord hasn't left. It's time for you to put your love and your purpose and your joy back in the Lord. So let me pray with you today. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for this word. For I know, Lord, there are people desperate for happiness and purpose and change. Father, I just pray for anyone here that's still questioning that you would reveal yourself to them in some manner. For anyone who's 
running dry and empty inside, that you, they would see that you are the one that can fill them with joy and purpose and love. And forgive us, Lord, when we are so caught up in this world and busyness and life that we no longer really seek you or pay attention to you and help us to put our joy and our purpose and our love back on you, Jesus. And we thank you for this series on Stuck and the power that you have to change. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Come on, give God some praise today. I hope you guys enjoyed that today.